Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched FX2. And thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. FX2 takes place about five years after the events of the first movie. Raleigh, played by Brian Brown, is retired from doing special effects and lives with his new girlfriend Kim and her son. But he's pulled back in once again to work for the police and use his gadgets to catch a potential killer. However, just like last time, things go wrong and crooked cops are involved. Raleigh goes on the run to save his family and also tries to solve the mystery with the help of an old friend. Screenplay by Bill Condon, directed by Richard Franklin, and released on May 10th, 1991. Have you seen FX2? Um, I'm gonna say no, but I do remember the first one, and mainly... All I remember is the actual effects and things that he made. Like the monster. Yeah. That's the only thing I remember. <laughs> I mean, the monster is, is memorable. Yeah. Uh, I knew nothing about this at all. When I heard FX2, it, there's no nostalgia, yeah, no, it... <laughs> no memories. I, I had no clue that this was even It was even about a... special effects or anything? I mean, I had a guess. Okay. But, I mean, it's such a generic name. <laughs> it could be, I don't know. Like these days, it, it's it's the name of like a TV channel. You know what I mean? Like yeah, FX2. yeah. Too. Um, but yeah, I, I had no idea what this was. Completely wind and fresh. And so we watched both of them. Um, but obviously, this is the only one that was released in 1991. Uh, the first one was good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the first one quite a bit. This one felt like a lot of like rehashing the same stuff and fan service and i don't know how many fans there were to service from the first one but yeah it was focused mostly on his gadgets yeah like it was very inspector gadget to me yeah but i almost wish there was more of it because i don't know um so the general the the easiest way to describe this to somebody who's never seen anything like this is basically it's like adult home alone. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is a lot like adult home alone. Yeah. The second one that we just watched. Um so he's trying to there's cops who are involved in some sort of operation that he was involved in and they're crooked and they're trying to tie up the loose ends by killing him because he knows too much. Um, or, you know, he was involved at all, and so they want to kill him to get him out of the way. This one has the mob, and he's using all of his special effects knowledge from working in the movie industry uh, to build things to help get him out of tight spots and to kill his pursuers. Yeah. Basically. So, uh, yeah, Home Alone with, like, a little bit of blood, swearing, nudity, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's PG-13, but the, yeah, there's still death and, and nudity in here. Yeah, they show the, the shower scene, and that's just straight-up nudity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that they are planning on making this an R-rated movie, but this one is PG-13. And I think they got around that by you could clearly see some overdub fucks. Sort of like what um, we saw in, in like, uh, Don't Tell Mom, Babysitter's Dead. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple spots where you clearly... I mean, the, the yeah. death, the one just uh, gory, it's not really gory, but the death of, you know, the cop. Yeah, the Where he gets his throat slashed. Scene. That's mm-hmm. probably the most goriest scene or death out of all yeah. the deaths we see. Yeah, in terms of, like, real people. So, like, it, this one, yeah. just like the other one, starts off with, like, a fake movie. Yeah. And so, like, um, uh, they don't tell you that it's a movie, but they, you know, they play out a scene where there's, like, this... Um, like, a sh- the first one, there was, like, a shootout of a restaurant, and yeah. a bunch of people die. And then, you know, it's, like, cut, and then all the actors are like, do we do okay, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then... The second movie starts off kind of like that, where it's like this robot. It's this woman who turns out to be a robot man alien thing. Yeah, it's and like he a gets destroyed trans by the cops too. robot alien. Dressed up like a, I don't know, like a like, sultry woman yeah. in a convertible. And this homeless man confronts her or something like that, or talks to her, asking to clean the windows and cops come and shoot him up and blow him up and you can see all kinds of like goo and stuff yeah yeah i mean that's gory but then you know you hear the cut again and you know it's another movie that's being shot yeah so yeah that's about the extent of the gore but they probably could have gone farther if they decided to go full force and do r um but they wanted to do the pg-13 because i guess there were enough like younger fans of the original i i understand so. yeah because i i don't want to say that i was a fan when i was younger but i liked the gadgetry and like the the one monster that he made that it's in this second movie but it's mainly cameo. in the first yeah. movie it's kind yeah, of like a this... cameo from the monster <laughs> in the movie he makes like this electronic monster that kind of jumps out at you mm-hmm. if you enter his loft apartment yeah type of thing to scare intruders yeah it's scare. it's supposed to scare intruders but it's like if anyone opens a door it pops out at you mm-hmm. so that that makes a, a brief appearance again um but I, I i don't know a lot of the gadgets were it's not like macgyver level it's not really james bond it's like yeah. somewhere lesser than those that's why i say it's like inspector gadget because you know how sometimes he makes a gadget and it kind of fails yeah yeah (laughs) but i mean none of these gadgets fail fail, but but they're they're... just kind of like really i guess at that time they were really high tech but now we're just like eh yeah, I, I think that's part of it. Like you see, like um, like these lipstick cameras or whatever that they place in in the 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 woman's apartment. Um, and now that's such a novelty because you know every little you know tiny button pinhole could yeah, be a it camera. Yeah, could be a camera. Yeah. Um, but that was like a new thing. Or like 
watchy talkies. Yeah. I mean, that concept has been around for years, like since the fifties and yeah, talking to the watch yeah, and yeah. talk to me. So it's like stuff like that rather than like creative gadgets. It's like trip wires and, you know, shooting hot dogs out of a tennis ball. I think that that machine. was to catch some dogs. Yeah, it, I know. That but I'm wasn't... just saying it wasn't like hyper creative. Like he he uses the mashed potato, the instant mashed potatoes for snow. For snow. Yeah. <laughs> On a summer day, I didn't understand that. Just a distraction of. I know it's thing. a it's distraction, like, but what's this about? Yeah. I <laughs> but it was really weird. Yeah. So I mean, the gadgets aren't like interesting to look at. Is is my main point. And even in the first movie, they didn't do a great job of, of using the gadgets too much because they kind of just had that one chase scene when they're in the special effects van, mm-hmm. and then they just dump stuff out of the back of the van while they're moving. Yeah, they, and that's where they used up most of the props and they stuff. They use what, like, kind of, they look like bombs or something. Yeah, at one point they use bombs to get the truck back, and then, like, you know, they're dropping, you know, fluid on there, and then they dropped the dummy mm-hmm. on the road. Yeah, and, like, yeah, to make it look as if... It was a real person rolling on the road so yeah. that the cops or whoever that were chasing them would stop. Exactly. So this one was less <laughs> on the gadgets or less was, creative yeah. for the most part. Um, it was more about, it was kind of like dumb pranks. Yes, which is yeah why it leads more to like the adult Home Alone thing. Yeah, 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 especially when he goes into like this mob mobsters home. This is like near the end. Yeah, where he's doing all this stuff, and I'm like, well, because you know he has that box of the instant potatoes. He has like all this other stuff, and you see him come into this house, and. I know we talked about this together, but I, w- I was just like, how did he bring, how did he know how this house was situated? How did he know this house had a fan so he can blow the <laughs> potatoes to look like snow? And then how did he know that he could put like a little thing, a tripwire thingy at a certain part of the house and mm-hmm. then like smoke blows into the person's face so they pass out? Not only that, but like, how did he get all that stuff in? Yeah, yeah like, yeah. The the ending you, is very you see him come in, and he's got like a fifty pound bag or something of right. sausages. Yeah, he has tons of sausages and hot dogs. He has like this. He has a bunch of dynamite. Um, he has the instant potatoes. Yeah, and like, how did he bring all like hundreds of pounds of gadgets with him into exactly. this house and like how and then okay, set yeah. it up in time did they know the layout of the place i don't even fully understand if they knew where exactly they were going ahead of time that yeah. wasn't really made clear to us um and then so there's like okay it's like a big like mob mansion type of a place where they're doing like the it's supposed to be maybe like on Long Island or something like, because they're outside of New York. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, part, that part I don't care about. The part <laughs> that I care about is that there's like one person guarding the entire place. So like they knew who would be staffed there or And they something. knew that there, they would have dogs. So they brought all yeah. these sausages to lure these, these dogs. 
and so he uses the tennis court to like shoot the the sausages at the dogs and they're following the trail and the guard guy just lets them go and, and lets them do that and <laughs> next thing you know he's inside the building with all of his shit evidently and he's like setting up this massive fucking smoke machine yeah inside a cabinet thing which he needs to hide the smoke machine which he must have known was in there a lot of this stuff and then it basically yeah, it creates like a tripwire type of a situation where like a dart or something or a smoke uh, knocks this guy unconscious mm-hmm. a lot of the gadgets and stuff are predicated on the concept of someone being in the exact right spot in the exact right time. There's yeah. no contingency plan of any of this stuff. That's, I mean, that's why I do like the first movie because when he is being chased around in like some random house, he's just finding random items. He's like, what can I do with this? Like a lighter. He's like, oh, I can do this with this. Yeah. Like it's MacGyver-ish in a way. Yeah. And the earlier scene in the supermarket is the closest we get. Yeah. Yeah. But this scene at the end, like, like he anticipated all of these. Yeah. Like, it's like he knew that that guy was going to be hovering over that specific pool table pocket. Yeah. Yeah. The cue ball come up and knock him out and assume that that was going to actually knock him out. (laughs) Like, you know, know. Like, that that's not a given. <laughs> so, like, why set up this big old thing just to, like, knock some dude on the head when he could have been like, ow, hey, stop. Um, and then, like, the guy outside who, like, steps on the trap that he sets and, like, sets him flying. Mm-hmm. Good thing he stepped in that exact right spot and didn't, like, right. miss the, the trigger. This movie is there's, very... There's a lot of that. It's like, uh, you know, the guy standing guard in the boat and, like, the submarine comes and shoots a dart. Good thing that hit him and didn't miss the dart right. shot. I, there's it, just so much that... Whatever. We just talked about the... Just the <laughs> Too, end of the yeah. movie only. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of pro, There's a lot of problems with the plot at the end of the movie. Um, and that made it less fun, in a way. Because, I mean... It'd be it'd make a lot more sense if they were going to infiltrate his apartment to try to get him, and he yeah. set up all kinds of stuff like Home Alone, and like you know he knew all of his things, but instead he somehow was able to like case the place or like know exactly what to do and knew exactly how these people would act in order to get away with stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of assumptions, but yeah. Um, so the way that it gets to that spot <laughs> is that, you know, they have like a semi-decent like effect set up for catching this killer at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So I mentioned that Raleigh, who is the main guy, um, was a special effects guy. He was, in the first movie, he was looped into faking an assassination of a mob guy in order to... Um, get him into witness, witness protection. Yeah. Um, and, and then that ended up being like a weird little fake out thing. And then Raleigh was supposed to be killed, but the cops messed that up. And then he was whatever. Um, mayhem ensues. So in this one, he decides to work with the cops again because he's convinced by um, Mike, who was the ex-husband of Kim, Raleigh's current girlfriend, um, and also father to Kim's son, 
Chris. I guess we'll you know we'll get into them more later because they actually do serve something of a role. Um, Mike is a cop. I'm not sure if I said that before or not. Um, and wants to catch this killer. Someone is after some model, and he had just gotten out of jail. The the killer what had just gotten out of jail for it was killing right a, yeah, a different he, model. Yeah, he previously killed another model and then this guy was just released early and then he's stalking just another model he's stalking someone else and so they devise this plan to create this fake setup and then mike will pose as the model in the shower to trap this dude and arrest him this and there's yeah. more plot holes there well, this whole entire setup didn't even need to be a thing. No. Why couldn't they just arrest the guy? Yeah, I don't... The model killer. I don't know. Like, they, they did this whole crazy setup of, like, making this, like, screen. Yeah, projection screen. A projection like screen. filming something before and, like, setting up fog machines and cameras. Making her look as if she's showering and then her window is wide open so you can see her naked body through. Yeah, to entice the guy. Yeah, I know. Then... I know that, but, I mean, and then the guy who is this the killer of models sees her across the street and then that that whole scene of him looking at her in the shower was too long yeah yes it's just him creepily staring for a good 10 minutes and and i'm grabbing a knife or something at some point i think and yeah and then he finally Um, grabs a knife but, but yeah, he makes such the a goofy face and it sort of makes it look like the cops like know that he's yeah, the cops him and see him see her yeah and then see him go into her apartment building they're watching him and he's like he's coming in it's like well then fucking like why him. didn't they just catch him there at that point yeah if they know it's the guy and they had shown proof that she was being sent threatening correspondence in the yeah. mail and you know it's from him. Hey, guess what? Why That's not reason enough to catch arrest him, him before he does all of this. Yes, and then or like we were saying as well, all of the other cops aside from Mike, who's in the shower with like a fake breast piece, which he could talk on yeah. to other people by pressing a nipple <laughs> to, talk, to talk to Is somebody that your on the outside. Part? Yeah. <laughs> That's the best gadget. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> like a nipple, yeah. nipple talkie? I yeah. don't know. It's not the watchy talkie. It's like the nip talk. I don't know. Um, anyway, so like there's no other cops in the apartment, but yet this dude is allowed to like break into the apartment and go into the shower and confront Mike. Like they had to catch this killer in the act of killing to catch him. That's what they're trying to like... But assume to the audience but dumb no. to me <laughs> yeah like have some dude in a room and as soon as he opens the door knock him out knock him out have another cop there yeah all the cops had to leave that apartment building yeah they have like four cops watching from across the way but only one of them with binoculars and then they're wa- watchy watch. talking <laughs> the yeah, guy. they're, they're watching Mike talking yeah <laughs> Saying, um, oh, here he comes, you better... Here he comes, whatever. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then Raleigh's there, 
as well in a different location, not with the cops. And he sees, uh, oh, by the way, Mike gets his throat, throat cut, cut, but not by the killer they were stalking, by, by another unknown else. guy. Um, and then Raleigh sees him in the back stairwell, chases after him, almost gets run over. And then, um, you know, he runs back into the crime scene and says the killer got away. And the cops are like, what are you talking about? Because they had shot the, yeah, they shot the stalker guy the, dead in the yeah. apartment. Uh, and that's when Raleigh starts to realize, uh-oh, it happened again. Right. My parents left me alone in New York. Going with the Home Alone theme. Yeah, again. I know, I know. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was Mike's idea to do this stupid thing. And then all the crooked cops took that as an opportunity to Get him kill killed. Mike. Yeah. I guess. Because Mike was getting too close to some case where they had stolen medallions um, and whatever. <laughs> from from uh, Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel medallions yeah, were stolen at some from point. From Rome or... And the cops are in on it trying to, re- you know, retrieve them. Um you know and then, and then they had the 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 rest of the movie is them i don't know raleigh figuring it out that these other cops planned for mike to get killed because mike was too close and finding out about these medallions because these cops were a part of that yep and they were working with the mob or whatever. Yeah, to get them back. And <laughs> to get, get them back get and get out. some ransom or whatever and to return it back to the Vatican. Yeah. Which, <laughs> it's okay. So, convoluted. Yeah. But at least there's a creepy clown. Yeah. <laughs> so, along with all of that, there's a creepy clown named Bluey. Yeah, Raleigh makes this clown, like an animatronic clown, but it's you. It it mimics all your movements. Yeah, you have to put on like a suit and it has, you know, all these sensors, kind of like a blue screen or green screen type of thing. And it mimics your moves while you wear this suit. Yeah, so if you if and you this raise is your right to hand, be... the clown will raise his yeah. right hand. There's no wires or anything connected to it. It's just the suit will transmit but the signals. But this is something that he's making is like a child's toy. Yes. Like he wants to make more of them. And I'm yes. and I was like, what A like A, how much is this thing going to be? Yeah, it's for <laughs> rich kids. Cuz that's yeah, like it, it's like a life's real life-size 6-foot clown and mm-hmm. it's scary looking and then what b why is it a clown <laughs> yeah why is it a clown with like piercing like white scary eyes scary eyes yes um and it's named bluey i don't yeah i don't know understand. why i don't know if it's he's like i'm gonna name eyes, it blue like the really light blue eyes or yeah something. he's got like white walker eyes um yeah that's a good that's the better <laughs> description um and so the clown comes into play a lot oh yeah so it's not like okay i was expecting like the monster or things similar to the monster from the first one to be involved in the movie more especially because it like, yeah, shows I like up that in, monster. Like, the monster it shows up in the poster yeah you know? it shows up in the art um 
but it really doesn't it only like you know it's only in like a couple scenes and you don't really see like similar creature creations this bluey obviously at some point is just a dude in a suit oh with, yeah with like choreography but uh the general concept again is like uh raleigh will be fighting somebody sort of from afar right um, or a couple and steps he uses, back he puts on that suit and he uses the clown to beat to some guy's the ass. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the real killer comes in to Raleigh's apartment and they have, honestly, a pretty good fight scene. The clown part was, like, goofy as all hell. Um, yeah. I know what they're going for, but after, like, the clown part was done, like, the rest of that fight scene was pretty good. And, like, yeah. Uh, it was, like, I don't know, crunchy and it felt real and, you know, a lot of hard hits and... and throwing people around and stuff it was good um same thing in the first one like that and again it basically mimics the first one someone breaks into the apartment has a fight with raleigh yeah but things happen yeah but you know everyone survives in the second one as opposed to the first one that's the main difference um but yeah the clown is used as you know a surrogate fighter and he's like wrapping himself around mm-hmm. people and like he's like jumping raleigh's jumping up in the air to make the clown jump right as if it has like you know that amount of weight and torque whatever um and then near the end the clown is in control of the helicopter that the, the that main flies guy all the way trying. to rome like <laughs> can, can can that even last yeah, so there's a couple things. One is that the clown is flying the helicopter. That's number one. The remote control, which means that Raleigh needs to know how to fly a helicopter and do it through a freaking remote control. Yeah. Uh, perfectly fine without, you know, anybody assuming anything Because he's wrong. kind of using, yeah. I mean, so he would have to blindly use controls because mm-hmm. Raleigh is wearing the suit and the clown is in... The helicopter flying, quote, flying mm-hmm. it, and Raleigh is mimicking all the movements on how to start everything and fly up, basically, in yeah. this helicopter. Yeah, exactly. And then he uses the clown While to While also steal. escaping on, yeah, yeah, motorboat and whatever. Right, he's doing <laughs> multiple things. <laughs> I don't know. And then, yeah, he steals the money with the clown, and uh, the clown and, jumps and out jumps of the out helicopter, of the and the and the main guy, uh, uh, Lieutenant Silak. Yeah, uh, he, the main the, ma- the main corrupt guy who's right. left is uh, left in a helicopter alone. Alone. And at the end credits, this is not even a bloop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not even but a blooper. It's not a blooper. But like after some of the credits roll and like the the coda is is tacked onto the movie showing that they're in the Vatican. Right. Then they like they show the helicopter going above the Vatican? I guess so. But how can a helicopter go from New York to Italy and like on yeah, that one tank of one gas? One tank of gas and, and he's able to keep it flying the whole time and like clearly it's not the same day because they have to fly to vatican themselves right to drop this anyway oh it's such a weird ending i don't know why they did it to be i mean was that yeah, supposed to be like a comedy relief be like oh yeah. he's still in the helicopter yeah but 
It's just Why? another thing that just know. did not make sense in the movie. And the first one made most mostly sense. Yeah, the first was one was grounded good. In reality. And I would I I thought it was like based off of like a book series or something. But it's it a good wasn't. concept. Yeah. Like the idea of having a, a like a, a movie special effects guy work with the police to set up something. Yeah. Like that's a good concept. Yeah. They should have just, you know, ended it at one. I guess, but they also made a TV series. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm curious about the TV series. Yeah, I don't know. see how that is. I've never seen it, obviously, because I didn't even know about FX in general, but um, I don't have the dates of the TV series. Was it like 95 or so that they started it? it only yeah, it was like 96 seasons. to 98, and it was only aired in Canada. We think. Yeah, I don't know. We Let us know if you it saw. It was probably syndicated, just not you know anywhere that we were aware of. But um, yeah, we there's no way to watch the TV series online that that we're aware of legally. So mm-hmm. who knows? But yeah, they made a TV series. Yeah, and it was a few years after this sec the sequel. Yeah, different actors as yeah. well, of course, because uh, Brian Brown, I think was mostly an australian actor and i don't think he would have he's probably like come I'm back done. down to, yeah i don't think he would have come back down right and then you know a lot of people weren't going to do tv at that time like brian brian dennehy he's the other lead that we haven't even talked about at all um he plays leo who was a good cop in the first one until they stole the money from the first one at the end and yeah he helps raleigh Oh, in the first one, yeah, they in the last scene steal money together, like fifteen million dollars from the mob. Right, um, from the the first set of corrupt cops, and then when Raleigh gets in trouble again, he calls on Leo uh, and he's to help like, them. We're he's at like, it I'm again, type of thing. Yeah, I'm in trouble. I need you. And then Leo comes in, uh, and he's apparently living in some like abandoned bar. I don't like his his house yeah. is a. Uh, actual bar that he's like yeah those peanuts have been there for five years or those you know pickled eggs have been there for five years don't touch them yeah and he's like nobody knows about this place like how is like that a, a, a thing? speakeasy or what? i don't know but he lives there and he brought the freaking monster from the first one to be in his to closet, be in the bar so like up. if someone comes into the bar like breaks in that monster can pop out maybe <laughs> i don't know I don't know how he got a hold of that monster either, but hey. Um, but yeah, so Leo's there. He doesn't, I mean, he's there to help solve the mystery and do some of the police groundwork and have some interactions with people who you think are good who turn out to be bad. Yes. Like his DA friend, uh, Liz Kennedy, played by Joanna Gleason. Right. Um and then he, you know, has that big revelation of that she's bad too because her cat is named one of the Samson. code names he saw yeah. in one of the files that Oh my god, there's so much plot stuff that I, know. <laughs> I don't know if it's worth talking about or not. Uh I mean if we just talk about like the main issues, which we, we already talked about the main issues. I yeah. don't know. Um, so yeah, Leo is there, and so there's only three returning people from the first movie. It, it's Raleigh, Leo, and then also 
uh, character named Velez, who also works in the police department, is doing like research. Uh, like a by... computer expert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Researcher and looking things up. Yeah, so yeah, she's doing like record keeping and like research, and, and she finds out that yeah, the social security numbers of these people are in sequence and whatever. Right, and she does kind of um, like early hacker type stuff. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. She helps walk through uh, Kim's son Chris onto uh, sending sending that information over modem. Right through a floppy disk. Through a floppy disk modem in 1991, through a computer store in the mall. Um, so those are the only three returning people, and Velez would not run return for a third movie because her character gets killed off, unfortunately. Spoilers. Yes. Well, the whole movie. I <laughs> know. This podcast is this one. I know. Yeah, so Leo, he's there a lot, but he doesn't, I don't know. Aside from, like, plot progression, he doesn't really serve much for a purpose. And it's honestly kind of weird that, um... It's honestly kind of weird that he doesn't seem to care about the threat of the cops in this one. I don't know if you got that impression from him, but it seemed like... I don't know. Like after going through what they did in the first movie, right? You'd think that he would see a little bit more urgency, but it's more like, yeah, who gives a shit, man? Come on, let's have a drink, let's catch back on good times. Mm. It's not even a phrase, but you know what I mean. I don't know. He didn't care. <laughs> it was like a phoned-in. Yeah, he was character. just like, I guess we're at it again, so yeah, let's just of. get this over with type of deal and even like in the main confrontation at the end where he you know he it was revealed that liz is actually a bad guy and in with the mob too um like there's no emotion behind what he says it's just like you know cold eyed it's like yeah and then this is gonna happen and what did you think was gonna happen and blah 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 i'm just kind of weird expected more out of dennehy honestly but we got more from Kim and Chris, who we haven't talked about a whole lot either. Um, so the girlfriend, Kim, played by, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, sorry, Rachel Tocotin. She was in Total Recall, most notably. Yeah. Uh, she was in Spies, Lies, and Naked Thighs, which is a VHS I have but have not watched. Okay. Uh, Falling Down, Con Air, and she's also in two more 1991 movies for us. Um, she was married to David Caruso. Yeah, she was also married to David Caruso for a short time. Uh, and then she has a, a, a son named Chris, who is a computer nerd to a degree, I guess. I don't know. She, it, 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 he's a typical kid, but he happens right. to also know computers. And he has a disc uh, with computer games and a very crucial file to the progression of this case. Yeah. Uh, and so they go to the mall... They're in hiding. Yeah, because... But they go to the mall to help with the case by sending the file over modem. So, I guess we go back. When Mike dies, who is Chris's father... Yes. They... The cops are raiding the the apartment. The cops are... The next day, basically, Mm -hmm. the cops are in Mike's apartment just going through all his stuff. And there's one cop that's in Chris's room just going through all his floppy disks and chris is like these are my games can i 
take them home with me. Yeah. And the cop is like, no. But, you know, Kim, the mom, Kim is like, you know, can you just give him his games? They're just games for a kid. Like, why do you need to look at them? But a file is saved on one (laughs) that Mark, the father, (laughs) saved onto one of Chris's games about this whole heist of these coins yeah it was hiding under a file named becker and uh yeah raleigh makes a comment of like becker what kind of game is that and then they're like whatever can i just get this game please and be on my merry way yeah and so they basically like steal it from the cops yeah even though it's their own property and then yeah go away like raleigh makes the connection that Oh, Becker was involved in the heist of these coins. I've heard that name before. Um, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so Chris has to go to the mall to computer store uh, to get everything. <laughs> to like, transfer it over know. to the cops. Right. Um, to hack into this floppy disk thing. And in the middle of transferring the file, the real killer infiltrates the computer room, stops the <laughs> transfer before it's complete. Um, and then Raleigh gets there in time to sort of save the day um, because Kim and Chris are being held hostage sort of by the killer. Uh, and then they escape into a grocery store that's attached to the mall, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, some malls. I've never seen I that I mean, personally. I guess there's like targets that are attached to some malls and that's like the closest to a grocery store i guess but this is like full Lionel, on grocery store on. that's near a mall or in the mall yeah which i don't know that's that's cool uh it's probably a thing in other places just not ever, anywhere that i've been um but they're able to yeah escape into the uh the grocery store but the killer is right behind and then they get into like yeah a big like Semi like more of like a MacGyver type of a scenario where he's using all the different groceries and setups to uh, draw the killer away yeah. from them. And uh, Raleigh's and doing all this stuff, and Chris, the son, is like, "Oh, cool! Yeah, <laughs> like you're setting stuff on fire." Yeah, it's like, "Oh, he's using these aerosol cans and lighters to like cook the beans until they pop in his face and stuff right. like that." Um, so, I mean, they're, they're interesting things and tactics, but boy, that killer is dumb in that moment. There are so many cases where he's, like with the beans, he's just like, he's looking at the beans right. while they're cooking. Like, clearly, that's not your purpose. Clearly, you should know your that if like, things are like moving and popping, or if the popcorn is popping in the barrel, because evidently there's a barrel of unpopped popcorn kernels just loose for anyone to have um or you know that's that's how they're distributed at the store you know if you're seeing these things happen then it should be pretty obvious that it's either a a distraction or b just not the thing that you're trying to kill Mm -hmm. so look elsewhere (laughs) um or he sees like he goes down this aisle where like all kinds of stuff is there and, like, there's a flame coming to him because they had set, like, a fire. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps on walking down the aisle. Like, you can see in front of your face that they're not in that aisle. But you can see that there's a flame coming towards you. How about stop walking towards it? <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's just, like, a pure idiot in some of these cases. Um, and he has to put out the fire on his shoes by dumping syrup on it. 
which I don't know if that works, but anyway, uh, push comes to shove. They end up getting trapped into like the meat department in the back or something, some back room that had turkeys in like frozen turkeys that weren't frozen or in a refrigerated area. They're just in a bucket near the door. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, Raleigh takes a couple and is able to smack the dude with them and then puts him under the, uh, like the cellophane machine and like traps him under and like, you know, shrink wraps his head and like, uh, nearly suffocates him. Um, <laughs> uh, he doesn't though, because he, he, he gets information about who he works for or whatever, but they cut away from him after he's been shrink wrapped. And this is what bugs me about this movie too. They cut over to Leo with Velez talking about getting like food or maybe they are getting food. I don't remember which one happens at that time. Um, And that's when like Velez gets killed while they're trying to get food. And then all of a sudden Raleigh's like, you know, they don't show the resolution of the grocery store. Like they're in the back room. Yeah, was that guy killed? The killer killed? (laughs) No, I don't think so. If he was, they didn't show it. I they had I know that Raleigh asks him like tell me everything and then you know I'm assuming the killer told him everything <laughs> and then that was it. Yeah, I guess, but they don't show it. Like just all I of a sudden, like they're all safe, and the killer's yeah. not pursuing them anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's dead. I don't know. Whatever. They should have explained it. <laughs> I don't. It's like they're just. They're just home. Yeah, and they come home. They're like, "Boy, wasn't that a crazy day?" Yeah, basically. <laughs> Let's go to bed. I don't know. It's like, okay, you're safe then. Right. I don't know. Um, it's just yeah, a lot of things were just sort of half-assed in terms of the plot progression. I guess. I wish there was more in terms of the gadgets. Like I said before, like before, I don't know. Like, okay, Raleigh goes to church and follows, like, uh, the main cop, Silek, and then his, his, uh, his stoolie, Neely, you know, the, the, the yeah. convict on the inside who's giving him all the information. Right. Because they think they found out where the medallions are, and so they go to church, Raleigh follows him, and all he does to dress up... Is put, like, a hat Is on. put a Budweiser hat on and some sunglasses. In the first movie, he's down in like the freaking sewers or something. He's and like he finds a makeup a way to dress artist, up like a yeah, bum. Right. He's like a makeup nowhere. artist, special effects guy. He couldn't put on like a face of makeup. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he knew this, like to look like another person. When he escaped like a bum, he had no advance warning and he had nothing around him. He just made it happen. This time he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to be following these people. Yeah, he can put on There's a mask. No board boys or hat and glasses. Right. Come on. <sighs> anyway, yeah, a lot of these things don't make sense. I'm trying to think of what else I can say about Kim and Chris's involvement in the movie. I don't know. I mean. Uh. I'm glad that they didn't die. They weren't there for just, like, body count purposes. Yeah, in the first movie, it was really sad that, you know, his girlfriend got killed 
basically just for looking out of a window. Yeah. That was sad. And then, you know, he's... Uh, the first movie is so, good, like, really good. Yeah. And then, like, you can see that he's, like, really upset and scared. You can see that he's, like, he's like, what do I do? I mean, then he's, like, carrying her dead body back to the bed. And he's, like, trying to, like, console himself and then, yeah. like, console her in a way, even though she's dead. And then all of a sudden, all these people are coming at him. Yeah. And he's like, I got to defend myself now. Yeah, he has, like, no time to grieve for the most part. This time right. he doesn't have anything to grieve, but... Aside from, I guess, Mike, but... I mean, you know. he barely even knew Mike. He just... And then it seemed as if Kim and Chris didn't seem like they were really grieving either. Because when no. Mike dies, Raleigh comes in, he's like, there was an accident. And they both just stare at him. Yeah, unless they just kind of gloss over that part. I don't know. They, they didn't feel like it was necessary to do that. I don't know. Um, I mean, aside from that, I mean, I do think that the performances are good all around. Aside yeah. from Brian Dennehy. Sorry, Brian, but you just, you did not give a shit about St- this. Stick to Tommy Boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll see him in one more 1991 movie in broad daylight. But like Brian Brown, I like Raleigh as a character. I think right. Like, it's this weird mix of where it seems like he doesn't give a shit, but it's really just like confidence and cockiness that comes across as, you know, I don't know. Um, but he does care about people. Like, he, you know, he, he may not like be like crying and weeping over his girlfriend's death too much, but, you know, in the first one, but, you know, he still clearly cares and he plays like the action role well. And I don't know, I, I really like what Brian Brown did with this. And same thing with Kim, like, you know, she might not have a meaty role, but she does what she needs to do with this. And Chris was not a bad child actor. Not plot related, but I do think we should talk about the theme song. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Go to the website and listen to the theme song. I have, there is a video that's like a compilation of the music from this movie. Hmm. The opening theme song, which is also played in the credits and credits, is awesome. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> it's really good. I was trying to think about it a little bit more. I think it's sort of like um, if Alf were an action movie. <laughs> yeah, I was you know? trying to think like this is very 90s sitcom type music. Yes. Yeah, it's more sitcom-y, but like, you know, with like a little bit of like mission impossible ish yeah which makes element. sense because the guy lalo schifrin wrote mission impossible uh, he wrote that theme and song. this was more of like a bossa nova like up tempo jazzy bebop type, yeah. <laughs> type song yeah imagine like alf meets miami vice yeah yeah <laughs> something like that uh listen to it it's, it's legitimately really good um so yeah lalo Schif- schifrin who who uh, won an Oscar in 2019, an honorary Oscar in 2019. Aww. Uh, he was nominated for six real ones, including for things like Cool Hand Luke um, and The Sting 2. Uh, but he won... Four, he, he only won... He, he only won a Grammy for Mission Impossible. He was nominated four times for his 
uh, Emmys, and he, he was nominated three times for Mission Impossible specifically. But yeah, he's done a bunch. He's done tons of stuff. He's a lot of stuff from like the fifties and sixties as well, like Man from Uncle and whatnot. Um, but listen to it. Go to the website. Listen to it. Nineteen ninety one MovieRewind.com. Uh, talking about some other cast stuff. Since this is a very special effects heavy movie, we should talk about the main person who's credited, Alec, Eric Allard. Let's get his name right, at least. Uh, he's Oscar nominated for Stuart Little for doing the effects in that movie, which I'd never seen, but I'm assuming that there would be a lot of like trying to combine CG yeah, with real world elements, sort of like to make Who a mouse look rabbit type small, of a deal. Small compared to bigger. Or just, you know, having like the the CG mouse interact mm -hmm. with real world objects. Yeah. Um, he not also like... worked on Back to the Future 2. He may not have been the lead on all of these, but he did work on all of these. Back to the Future 2. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Demolition Man, Matrix Reloaded, Mission Impossible 3, and probably most importantly, Short Circuit 1 and 2. Oh, so, cool. Uh, big pedigree from him. Uh, Richard Franklin has not done a whole lot of directing, to be honest. Well, not, not of anything majorly of note. Nothing that I've seen either, aside from this, that I can tell. Uh, he did movies Patrick in 1978. He did Rogue Games in 1981. He did Psycho 2. And probably his most popular, aside from maybe this one, is Cloak and Dagger. Hmm. Which I still have not seen. It's been a while, but I remember liking it. It's, yeah, it's supposedly, uh, supposedly a good one. Um, Bill Condon wrote this. Um, he's an Oscar winner for Gods and Monsters. Same guy that wrote this. Where was his writing skills for this movie? Had not fully developed, evidently. Um, he was also nominated um, both at the Oscars and at the Golden Globes for Chicago. He wrote that as well. Uh, he went on to do Kinsey, Dreamgirls, and The Greatest Showman most recently, I think. Uh, we'll see him again a couple more times. In 1991, he wrote and directed Murder 101. Oh, so we, okay. get to, we get to experience that. And he also directed two other 1991 movies, White Lie and Dead in the Water. So he was very busy around this time. He didn't have too much time to, to you know, clean up the script of FX2. He was busy working was on busy. three other movies in this year, <laughs> directing and writing a couple. So uh, we'll also see Brian Brown again in 1991. Uh, a couple different times. Sweet Talker. And Dead in the Water with Bill Condon. So he's a Golden Globe and Emmy nomination uh, for the Thornbirds TV series. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what I found interesting about his credits history is that uh, he's uh, he may be well known for things like Cocktail and Breaker Morant and stuff like that. Um, he was in two movies called Palm Beach. Okay. One was released in 1979. The other one was released in 2019. I did not go far enough to see if there's a connection. Maybe on the next Brian Brown movie, <laughs> I'll look into that and see if they're connected or if it's just a coincidence. I want to talk about Chris, played by Dominic Zamprogna. Apologize Zamprona? Sure. Uh, this was his very first role, from what I could tell. Uh, he's gone on to be very successful in TV. He was uh, a Treyu in the NeverEnding Story TV series. 
which evidently was a thing in 1995, and I did not know about it. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> was it, like, animated? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, he was also on a Canadian teen drama for a little while called Edgemont. Um, and then he's been on General Hospital since 2009. And, oh, he's still on? And he's still on. Well, okay, he, he I He plays know. a character named Dominic Falconeri. Uh, okay, I, I know someone that watches that show, and I will ask. Okay. <laughs> Do you? So, I'm a, I will assume. Most likely. That... That's that's one of, like, three names that he's credited under, so I guess, like, in the show, he's been, like, his name has changed for various reasons as part <laughs> okay. of the plot, but right now, he's... Dominic Falconeri, and he's been on that show for almost, I don't know, what, 12 years, I guess? 12, 13 years. So... Yeah, uh, the person who played Velez, Jossie de Guzman, this was her last role for the most part. Um, she had one more uh, credit on her name on 2002. So from 1991, nothing until 2002 on TV and movies. She did a guest spot on a show called Third Watch. Um, FX movies are really her only two movies. She was mostly a Broadway star. Uh, she played Maria in West Side Story. On Broadway and she was also in Guys and Dolls and was nominated for Tony's for both of those. She also worked with Joanna Gleason who played Liz Kennedy um, in a 1991 stage musical Nick and Nora uh, where Gleason was playing Nora, Barry Bostock was playing Nick and uh, Jossie de Guzman was a replacement actor. So mm. 1991 connection between these two actors in the movie. And actually two more quick little notes here. And we got uh, Kylie was the model at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? She was played yeah. by Lisa Fallon. Uh, this is the only credit uh, for her. She did not act again. She went on and uh, married a cinematographer named Dan Mendel, uh, who has been very prolific. And he will appear in Thelma and Louise as a first assistant cameraman. Um, but he has since, since gone on to be the cinematographer for such movies as Star Wars 7 and 9, Mission Impossible 3. So that may explain why she didn't act. So she, whatever. Uh, and then something that I found interesting just because of my other hobbies here, Carrie Stone, who played Cousin Beth, one of the people that they, uh, at the, the safe house that they go to, if you remember. Okay. So Raleigh sends Kim and Chris off to live with uh, Kim's sister. Yes. And then Beth is there and she answers the phone a couple times. This is her only credit as an actor. The only other thing that pops up in her credits is a producer for a documentary called Jack of All Trades, which is a documentary about baseball cards. Oh. (laughs) So um, her brother, Stu Stone, co-directed and starred in that documentary. Uh, it's basically about their relationship to their father who owned a baseball card store in Toronto and then abandoned the family at some point. So I thought that was interesting because I'm a baseball card nerd. So uh, another thing about this movie is, or both movies, is that they were produced by Dodie Fayed. Dodie Fayed was the oldest son of... Egyptian billionaire Mohammed Al-Fayed, who's a former owner of Harrods Department Store. Do you know Harrods? 
I know the name. I don't think there was one near me. It's mostly just in London. Oh, then definitely it wouldn't have been any. <laughs> I didn't realize it was. I think it's it just was, one. I didn't giant realize it was a store. London only thing. Anyway, so Fayed, along with producing FX and FX Two, he was the executive producer of films such as Chariots of Fire, the movie Breaking Glass, and then another 1991 movie, Hook. Mm-hmm. The Scarlet Letter, and he was also a creative consultant for the FX TV series. So, and that was it. That's all I see for his credits for as a producer. So, on to the true crime. <laughs> In July 1997, Fayed became romantically involved with Princess Diana, Diana, Princess of Wales, and. I didn't realize they had a very short, I don't want to say, yeah, relationship. Because in August 31st, 1997, so like two, a month and a half mm. or so, later, Diana and Fayed died in a car crash in the Pont de l'Ama underpass in Paris. I hope I said that correctly. They stopped in Paris en route to London after having spent nine days together on holiday in the French and Italian Rivieras aboard his family's yacht. And neither Fayed nor Diana were wearing a seatbelt in the back. So investigations by French and British police concluded that their chauffeur, Henry Paul, was driving under the influence of alcohol and prescription drugs. And the paparazzi chasing the couple were believed to have contributed a little bit to the accident, which I think was the main reason. I think that was oh, the main sure. contributor, yeah, not sure. this driver being under the influence. Yeah, the driver was trying to get away from the yes. screaming... Yeah, like... From the, mass amounts of cars and flashing lights. Yes. The uh, the double impact opening scene level of pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. So Fayed's father, Mohammed Al-Fayed, claimed that the couple were, quote, executed by MI6 agents. Hmm. That's, that's uh, his father's thoughts of how they died. Fayed's former spokesman, Michael Cole, claimed that the couple had become recently engaged before their deaths because they found a ring. Okay. But it wasn't... There's no way to know for sure. Right. Fayed's father erected two memorials to his son and Diana at the Herods in London. Mm. We could have... Well, there you go. That's a reason to go in, right? (laughs) Well, uh, I'll tell you more. Okay. (laughs) The first memorial was unveiled on April 19, in April 1998. It consists of photos of the two behind a pyramid-shaped display that holds a wine glass that was still smudged with lipstick from Diana's last dinner, which is a little weird. Weird. Yeah. And also the ring that Fayad had purchased the day before they died. Okay. So that ring that they think was going to be an engagement ring. Okay. The second memorial was unveiled in 2005, and it's a 
bronze statue called Innocent Victims. I have a picture of it, and then I, I can give to you so we can All put right, it on the so website. So it should be on the website. It's ten foot high bronze statue and it's of them dancing on a beach beneath the wings of an albatross so they're like holding hands dancing and there's a big winged bird above them okay that's a big giant statue in herod's but the statue as of january 2018 that statue was returned to to the alfayed family so you cannot uh. see that statue anymore in Herod's. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, and you can watch. A, I'm assuming season five of The Crown is going to show a better. Yeah, whichever season it's going to be. Yeah. I'm assuming it's going to be season five of The Crown. Sure. Which would show would probably go in depth about their death, and then also another podcast that I really like called "You're Wrong About." They did a five-part series about Princess Diana where I learned a lot, and they go into their deaths way more. I just I remember that time. Yeah, I was clearly. in high school. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend over the night it happened, and uh, we were playing video games or whatever, and like we saw the news flash that Princess Diana had been injured. That's like yeah. that's basically all it had said. And we were, like, joking around, like, oh, Princess got a boo-boo. And then, like, we went and, like, played, like, some video game. And then, like, after we were done playing that game, the news had said that she had died. We were like, oh. <laughs> I think it <laughs> was really late at night. Because I think I was watching, yeah, was like... Yeah, really late at night. I think I was watching SNL or something. And then they stopped to, oh, like... I, I, I really... Re- I don't know if they stopped in between the show or something or maybe it was right after the show ended yeah it was definitely overnight hours yeah when we found out because yeah it was like it was like early morning over there and just playing games all night france yeah so at like three in the morning that she had died you're like oh right we shouldn't have made that joke (laughs) yeah because i remember seeing that and you know they showed the car wreckage they Mm. didn't show them or anything but it was yeah all, all of that leading up into her, like, memorial, and they even showed, you know, like, her funeral on TV and stuff. I, mm-hmm. I, I watched all of that. I didn't. Oh. No. <laughs> I don't know. I was, like, I wasn't that invested really in invested in that. It was, like, Elton John song was on everywhere, but right. it was about the extent of my involvement. And they had a Princess Diana Beanie Baby which oh, yeah, is yeah. probably, I don't know how much no it is. I have no idea if it would be worth anything. Yeah, on eBay. All right, moving on to, you know, the top songs and everything else. Mm-hmm. So we have new songs for right. the week of May 10th, 1991. Top song of the U.S. was Roxette's Joyride. Okay. And the top song in the UK was Cher's Shoop Shoop song. It's in his Kiss. Do you remember that song? Oh, yeah. I forgot that that was a thing. That that was for the movie Mermaids. So Mermaids was in 1990. Yeah. So, I mean, like it was in the UK. later, it was like I mean, still, I guess that movie was released in the UK around that time. Like maybe five months later. Maybe. I don't know. 
<laughs> you don't care for I don't that like song? That, no, I don't uh, like that song. Any version. Even the original? Yeah, even the original I don't like. All right, and then on to TV. I'm not... I ch- I'm not doing TGIF anymore because now it's just the same. Yeah. So I checked SNL listings and there was an SNL the day after on May 11th, 1991. And we watched it on Peacock. On Peacock. We watched this episode and it was extremely <laughs> redacted of all the things that I was yeah. interested in. Yeah, but, they they take away all the music performances and they also cut a lot of sketches, especially if there's like some sort of rights issue. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's like almost like a half hour of stuff. Right. And, and there's four or five things missing. For this episode, it was Delta Burke as the host and the the music performance was by Chris Isaac and he performed the song Wicked Game and then another song called Diddly Daddy, which I have I only know never. Wicked Games from Chris Isaac. He has a couple other songs. I'm sure he does. But I only know Wicked Games. <laughs> so. And he also appeared in a sketch called The Karaoke Bar in that episode, but that was not on Peacock. Not we didn't on see Peacock. it. And I remembered this episode really well for this sketch that we could not see was when Madonna appeared as a cameo for a Wayne's World sketch. And it was for her Justify My Love video. Yes. Uh, We could see that sketch just not on Peacock because that sketch does appear on like the Wayne's World VHS tape, which I do have back at my parents' house. Mm. So... (laughs) <laughs> we can watch it again. But at some I, re- point in the I remember that sketch really well because, I mean, at this point, I was peak 100% a Madonna stan. I was obsessed with her. So I remember watching that, just that alone. Yeah. they have, Basically, like Wayne and Garth have like a fantasy sequence. They go, it's all, yeah, it's all black and white. And they're in her video where it's all like bondage and whatever happening. And it's a really good sketch. Really good sketch. But Delta Burke did a good job hosting. We watched it before uh, recording this. Um, they had a really long sketch about Weight Watchers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the sketches were not good. Um, the ones that were included were not good. They did Coffee Talk with her with, in it. Which... With Paul Baldwin. Yeah. One of the original Coffee Talks with Paul Baldwin before he switched to the Linda Richmond Yeah, where the Linda Richmond one was better. Yes. So it was interesting just to see that. <laughs> like an actual Paul Baldwin yeah, sketch. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, not much to write home about. We did end up watching the Alec Baldwin episode that we talked about last time, and that's a lot better. So Yeah, they had more sketches to be seen. I don't know. And they were funnier. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Peacock has it if you want to watch that. So let's go to rankings and ratings then. On your one to five star scale, where would you put FX2? Uh, I mean, I would give this a two. I think that's fair. I, on my zero to four star scale, I think I'm going to put it as a two as well. I know we ragged on the plot holes a lot, but it was still entertaining. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't well constructed. We wish it would have done more. The first one's obviously better. Yeah, but the this one was first still, one was great. This one was still like a good time, even if it was sort of repetitive. So yeah, it's a two out of four. Uh, every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch it again? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's on, like, in the back... This is, like, a background movie. Like, if I'm working and I kind of want to watch something mindless, this is what I would watch. Yeah. I don't know if I'd watch... Because I don't really have to pay attention, because I don't really care what's going on. Yeah, you definitely don't have to pay attention to what's going on. I don't know if I would watch this one again, because... I would definitely watch the first... Yeah. I would watch the first one again. Yes. As, like... Because it's a good movie and it's interesting. Yeah. But not so much this one. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to watch FX2, as of this recording on May 2021, it's available on Tubi, Pluto TV, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of 800 movies, along with show notes and more, such as the music to this movie. Go listen to it. Next week, we'll be watching V.I. Warshawski, which is only available as a digital rental or on VHS or DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.